But why is supported by Progressive? Progressive helps you compare direct auto rates from a variety of companies, so you can find a great one, even if it's not with them. Quote today at Progressive.com to find a rate that works with your budget. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids. I'm Jane Lindholm. On this show, we take questions from kids like you, and it's our job to find answers. We've talked about all kinds of things, from science to religion to geopolitics. Today, we're tackling something new, questions about math. What is the biggest number? Who invented mathematics? Why is fifth grade math so hard? With me to offer some answers and some mind-blowing concepts is Joseph Mazur. I have been writing popular science and mathematics books for about 10, 12, 15 years, depending on how you count. Some of Mazur's books include Fluke, The Math and Myth of Coincidence, and What's Luck Got to Do With It? The History, Mathematics, and Psychology of the Gambler's Illusion. Before we get to your questions, I have an even simpler one. Or is it? What is math? Joe Mazur says that's actually a tough question. Math is about numbers, but not just about numbers. You can't say that everything about numbers is about math, and or math is only about numbers. It, it defies all attempts to cage it in, in any one direction, and uh, any one definition even. So uh, surely mathematics is, is about numbers, but it's more about structure, how numbers come up, and what they are. It's, it's about form and shape. It's about universal truth. And, and that's the strength of it. You know, the, the universality of it is, is really the most important part of mathematics. Once it's true, once the proof is, is um, solid, uh, it's It can be understood or accepted by anybody, no matter what the culture is. If that felt like a complicated answer, it is. Math is not just about how many apples you have. If you have five and then you pick three more. The answer to that one, by the way, is five plus three? Right, eight. Math is about the study of numbers and how they work. It's about structure and patterns and how patterns form in the world or what patterns we might be able to expect in the future based on the patterns we've seen before. It's about problem solving and logic. And when Joe talks about proofs and universal truth, he means that mathematics is the search for a problem or a concept that can be proved one way and then applied to other problems. But it's always going to be the same answer for everyone. So if we all know what apples are and we know what five means, we can all come up with the number eight in that problem I gave you earlier. That's going to be true no matter what language you speak or where you live or how you count. People use math all the time. We use it to figure out how to cook a birthday cake, to make sure the texture is just right, 
by adding the ingredients in a specific ratio. It's a big part of the business of professional sports. People even use statistics to figure out who to put on their teams. It's a huge part of science and nature, and it's even in art and music. Patterns and shapes play a big role in our enjoyment of art and music. So math is everywhere, and some of you have sent us some pretty cool math questions. Here's Elliot, who's three years old and lives in Vermont. I'm from Whitewood Junction, and I'm guessing what's the biggest number. Hello, I am Peter, and I'm six years old. I live in Falls Church, Virginia, and my question is, what is the biggest number? What is the biggest number? Hmm. Yeah.、Uh, let's think of a cup of sand, just a cup of sand, and ask the question: How many grains of sand do you think are in the cup? <laughs>、um, we could do the math by just estimating the size of a grain of sand. And my guess is,、uh, without doing the math seriously, my guess is it's somewhere between three and five million in a cup, in a single cup. Five million is a very large number, but how about the number of grains in a sandbox? Oof. Yeah. How about the number of grains of sand on a beach, or in the Sahara Desert, or on Earth? Or,、uh, you know, scientists have estimated the number、uh, to be more than seven quintillion grains. That's a number seven <laughs> with eighteen zeros after it. That's a huge, huge number. Okay. How about including the sands of Mars? Uh, the moon, the universe. Oh boy,、uh, <laughs> that number is so huge, we have no words to describe it. But is that number, the sands of Earth and the uh, uh, and and the universe, is that the largest number? No. It's interesting to note that the number of stars in the universe is actually bigger than the number of grains of sand on Earth. <laughs> We can't see most of them, of course, but、um, that number actually has been computed by astrophysicists to about seventy sextillion. That's seventy with、uh, two, I don't know twenty-two zeros after it. <laughs> Whoa! So seventy with twenty-two zeros, but、yeah. even that can't possibly be the ultimate. No, of、number. course not. No, because now. What if we were to multiply those two numbers together? Just the number of grains of sand times the number of stars in the universe. Oh boy! Now we're really getting to big number sets. That would be forty-one zeros, <laughs> and we can keep doing that. That's the thing: is that we mentally we can certainly do that. We can we can imagine multiplication, and we can imagine keeping going, even though we're not actually counting any sand particles. And even if we got tired of multiplying,、uh, we could always drop one more grain of sand in the pile, or imagine that we could、uh, increase that number. So、uh, the answer is no. There's no biggest number, even though we might run out of names for big numbers. In other words, the names might drop off because we haven't named them yet. We haven't needed to, to name them. But then,、um, you know, in the mind. If you think of mathematics taking place in the mind, you can see that、uh, we can keep thinking of more and more numbers, and there's no stopping. Because as soon as you get to the number you think is biggest, 
Well, just add add one to it, and you get <laughs> another number that's bigger. See what I mean when I told you earlier that Joseph Mazur was going to offer you some answers that might blow your mind? Arjun in Canada sent us a question about the names of those really big numbers. My name is Arjun. I'm five years old, and I live in Regina, province name Saskatchewan, and I want to know what is the last number. My friend is saying that Google Jinx is the last number, and my dad is saying Google Plex is the last number. Which one is it? Google Plex is indeed a very big number. Google, the number, not the web search engine, is one followed by 100 zeros. Google Plex is way bigger. That's 10 to the power of Google. This is complicated, but that's 10 to the 10 to the 100. There's not enough paper in the world or time in your life to write that number out using all the zeros. So while that is indeed a very big number, as Joe Mazur told us, there is no last or largest number, because you could always just add one to whatever largest number you come up with. On the other hand, he says there is a smallest number if you're counting positive numbers. Zero is the smallest positive number. You can't get smaller than zero. Now, some of you who've been taking math classes for a while and are starting to learn about negative numbers might say, but wait, negative one is smaller than zero. That's true. But if you count regular old positive numbers, things you could hold in your hand, in theory, you can't get smaller than zero. Coming up, we'll learn about the first mathematicians and talk about why some of you find math difficult. But first, a message for the adults who are listening. We have support from Paramount Pictures' new movie, If, in theaters May 17th. This movie introduces audiences of all ages to be a curious young girl with the ability to see everyone's imaginary friends, a.k.a. ifs. Get it? Imaginary friends? B joins forces with Cal, an adult who can also see ifs, and together they embark on a magical adventure seeking to reconnect forgotten ifs with their long-ago kids. Ryan Reynolds brings comedic energy to the film alongside precocious new star Kaylee Fleming. If you have, or have ever had, an imaginary friend, let if answer what if everything you believed as a kid was real. IF is in theaters May 17th. But first, a message for the adults who are listening. Support for our program comes from Oak Meadow, providing secular, student-centered homeschooling curriculum and a teacher-supported distance learning school for K-12. Oak Meadow has encouraged kids to follow their curiosity and uncover the answers to But Why for 45 years. To learn more, visit oakmeadow.com. In this episode of But Why, a podcast for curious kids, we're talking about mathematics and numbers with author and mathematician Joseph Mazur. Hi, my name is Harper, and I live in Newtown, Pennsylvania. I just turned seven years old, and people keep saying seven is a lucky number. So I want to know, but why? Why is seven a lucky number? Oh, that is good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that Again, that's an excellent question. Let's see. Well, there are a lot of cool things that come in sevens, like the days of the week. But what's luck got to do with it? Well, Joe wrote a whole book about luck and about gambling. 
Gambling is taking a risk in the hopes of getting something good or better. Luck has some connection to risk, right?、Mm-hmm. And risk has something to do with、um, gambling, right? When you say lucky and lucky number, it's got something to do with risk and gambling.、Um, and one of the earliest tools of gambling, very early, goes back very far, is dice. You know, it wasn't the dice that we know of, but you know, it was throwing、uh, pig's knuckles and that sort of thing、uh, to see which side the, the the pig knuckle would land on. So. It, if you flip two dice, it's interesting to note that seven is the most li- likely number to appear.、Hmm. You see why?、Um, um, there's only one way to get two,、mm-hmm. but there are two ways to get three. There are three ways to get four. There are four ways to get five. There are five ways to get six, and six ways to get seven. And of course, it goes down the other way. You know, there are five ways to get eight. There are four ways to get Nine and it, and continues that way. So seven is the, has the largest number of possible ways for a pair of dice to be coming up seven.、Uh, it, it's the largest likelihood of a number. There's also something to be said about the idea of coincidence or what we think is lucky. If you have a pair of lucky socks and every time you wear them something good happens to you, you might start to think it's about the socks. That if you wear the socks, something good will always happen. Same thing with seven. If you think seven is a lucky number, you'll probably notice good things happening to you when you're seven years old, or wearing a lucky seven shirt, or something like that, because you're looking for good things to happen to you. Things that are actually just coincidences might seem like they're destined to happen because of your lucky seven shirt, your lucky socks, or your lucky rock. We also have some questions from a few of you who want to know about people who study math, mathematicians. My name is Ada. I am eight years old. I live in Moscow, Idaho. I love math, and I want to be a mathematician. So my question is, who were some of the first mathematicians in the world? My name is Daniel. I'm from Cape Town, South Africa. But I want to know who invented mathematics. It depends on what you mean by a mathematician. Would that be a person who professionally does mathematics, or a person who just simply does it because there's a, a need to do it in some way? Right,、um, like if you're a, a caveman and you need、yeah. to figure out how many、exactly. portions of food to feed your family, you're doing math. But does that make you、That's、a mathematician?、Right. That's right. Yeah, and the mathematics really does go back about ten thousand years when people first started building houses. They farmed land. They created pottery. They weave clothes. They paid taxes. Even you know that. So of course it was very primitive. But about four thousand years ago, in Babylonia, which would be、uh, for those who don't know where Babylonia is, which、uh, is understandable, it's present-day Iraq, which is、uh, or or partly Iraq and partly Iran. There were people there who、uh, wrote mathematics on clay. That was that was the way you wrote mathematics. You'd write it on clay tablets. A bit later,、uh, the Egyptians wrote mathematics on papyrus.、Uh, that was papyrus is made from the leaves of a papyrus plant. So、um, we don't know the names of those people who wrote on clay tablets, but we do know that one famous papyrus. Described by a person named Ames. That's all we know. We don't know anything about him. 
We know he's the scribe, but we don't know if he's the author of the papyrus. So we we know so little about who these people were. A scribe is someone who writes. So that Ames person could have just been writing on the papyrus for someone else or doing their own math. So we don't really know anything about the earliest mathematicians. But we know that about 3,000 years ago, people started doing mathematics just for mathematics' sake. So not to figure out who had to pay more taxes, but just because it was interesting to do math. And one of the earliest mathematicians in that category is someone named Pythagoras. Pythagoras, who lived in about 500 B.C. So that's 2,700 years ago. That's a long time ago. But that's kind of the Western version Chinese mathematicians, um, they came at about the same time as the Western mathematicians. Uh, The name Mo Di uh, is associated with uh, much of early Chinese mathematics, and it's close to the same time as Pythagoras. So let's say Pythagoras was the mathematician, let's call him the first mathematician in the West, and we could say that Mo Di was the first mathematician in the East. Very little is known about Mo Di. He wrote a, um, a long treatise on mathematics. A treatise is basically a long paper that goes into great detail about something. He was uh, instrumental in actually having something of a notion of the Pythagorean theorem, but not, uh, not quite the same uh, identical things that Pythagoras had done. Pythagoras, we know a lot more about. Pythagoras had followers who claimed an almost spiritual connection to numbers, but he's best known now for something called the Pythagorean Theorem. It's something you'll someday learn about in geometry or another high school-level math class. having some fun today because we're talking about numbers and you know in in a lot of ways I find this a little bit mind expanding and works my brain but we have a question from Olivia who uh, it sounds like maybe isn't finding it quite so much fun. Why is fifth grade math so hard? Why is fifth grade math so hard? (laughs) I I really I'm no great expert in this by the way (laughs) but I'm going to suspect, and I'm going to go out on a limb and, and, and suspecting, that lots of early, uh, early grade math is learned in the environment of play. You know, we play a lot when we're young. So we play um, building with blocks uh, or playing games. And you don't notice it, but adding and subtracting, and even to an extent multiplication and division, is part of early childhood play. You know, you're building blocks, you put one block over another, and you, you don't notice that you're actually adding to the pile or subtracting from the pile or whatever you're doing. But you are sort of mimicking that. Or, you know, cookies in the cookie jar. You notice you've ate a few cookies, and suddenly the pile has gone down. Well, what happened? You know, it's subliminal. But with building blocks and, and games, you're learning structure and rules. So rules are very important for games, and that's how you sort of uh, acquire a sort of sense that there are rules in the world. And so you're ready to know a bit about fourth grade math, even though you haven't formalized what you know. In other words, you, you really 
you don't know what you know, and you get into the fourth grade, and 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 you're okay in the fourth grade because because you sort of um, you already had some structure in, in to getting to know that, but when you get to the fifth grade, you get some new material. There's new material that comes up that it's a bit foreign to your experience, and suddenly you're tossed into an environment that gives you new challenges. So. I mean, it's, you're in that environment that gets you, gives you new challenges, but what happens is I think it depends. Uh, all this, of course, depends on the country you're in because the fifth grade here is going to be very different than the uh, fifth grade in in um, Bangladesh, you know, um, uh, and certainly the different than the fifth grade in in Germany. Olivia lives in California, and she's 10. So what we're talking about when we say fifth grade math, for those of you who don't live in the United States, is basically 10-year-old math. But no matter what age you are, there will be a point where math becomes more about mixing operations. That means addition and division in the same problem. And those aren't as easy as counting blocks. It does take some big thinking to understand. So in school, like Babylonian society that we talked about earlier... When we're young, a lot of mathematics is dealing with things you can see and count. But at some point, you make the jump to more abstract ideas, like Pythagoras and his followers did. But you know how Joseph Mazur said he wasn't an expert in fifth grade math? I bet a few of you listening now are experts. Could you help Olivia? Can you offer any tips for dealing with challenging math classes? Ask one of your adults to use a cell phone to record you answering and send your helpful advice to questions at butwhykids.org. Or, if you don't have any tips for Olivia, just send us your favorite math joke. Questions at butwhykids.org is also the address you can use to send us questions on anything else you're wondering about. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Joseph Mazur, the author of many books on math and science, for talking mathematics with us today. But Why is produced by Melody Baudet and me, Jane Lindholm, at Vermont Public Radio. Our theme music is by Luke Reynolds. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode. Until then, stay curious.